patience. Patience, patience, patience. The Strong's definition, cheerful endurance, constancy, cheerful is your blank. Webster's defines it as the suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or other evil with a calm, unruffled temper and without murmuring or discontentment. Decided to mix things up by doing the definition first because I thought after we read what Strong's and Webster's has to say as far as defining the word patience, it led perfectly into what today's message is called. The title of today's message is called The Impossible. The Impossible. As we continue our study in 2 Peter 1.6, And to temperance, add patience to your faith. You know, as I kind of been going back and looking through this, uh, this whole study, I remember I started studying this out at the beginning of this year, and it was very, very easy for me to look at how you add all of these character traits to your faith. It became very easy to know how to add virtue to your faith. And how do we do that? Well, as we saw in the book of Ruth, you know, she was selfless and she was sacrificial in her service. And she was serving with a right heart attitude. Regardless of it, she did the right thing, regardless of her reputation, regardless of, of what she had to gain from it. No, 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 no. She did it because it was the right thing to do. And then to virtue, we add knowledge. And how do we practically, what is the action that we take to add knowledge to our faith? Well, it comes in the form of studying. We saw that. We saw how we could, we take Bible reading and take it further by studying God's Word, by taking that work to the next level and studying. It's easy and quantifiable. We can measure it. We can see how to practically add via that action. And then recently, the last two weeks, we looked at temperance. How do we add temperance to our faith? Well, as we looked at, we don't make provision for our flesh. We don't allow our eyes or put ourselves in situations to be near things that are going to tempt us, whether that be for sexual immorality or even just any emotionalism sense. Not giving into emotions because, oh, that girl or that guy, they said something about me and here's how I'm going to overreact. No, it's not acting the way we want to. But then I came to today's, uh, today's study, and I thought to myself, how do you add patience? Like, anybody here have a good week? Okay, you had a good week. If you had a great week today, or this week, and I just came up to you today, I said, hey, uh, be patient. <laughs> What's that going to do? confuse you for sure and yes absolutely it's going to make you it's going to make you afraid of like wow that's kind of ominous is something coming but think about it practically if i tell you to be patient or when someone tells you to be patient what is usually happening 
there's usually a catalyst that is happening and occurring in your life. There is some kind of action that requires you to react accordingly. You see, for the first three that we looked at, they're all actions that you take to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, and temperance. But when it comes to this, when it comes to this, you can't just proactively add patience. Patience is reactive. There has to be something that's occurring, something that's happening to you that is outside the realm of your control. And how you respond to that catalyst or that event, that is where you have the opportunity to add patience to your faith. For starters, point number one on your, on your outline here, we see into temperance, add patience. Look over at Luke 21. Hopefully you guys are all turned there. Luke 21, follow along with me in verse 10. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Uh, just from these first few verses, what's the context here? Yeah, it's the end times. It's the last days. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. doesn't matter how bad things get. God always has a way to make it work for His glory. And he says, settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. We've looked at this before. But again, John chapter 16, Jesus Christ said that's what he gave, us the, he gave us the Spirit of God for. So that when we come to those situations, when you don't know what to say, just depend on the Spirit. Just take a step back and let the Spirit of God speak. That's why he gave it to us. Gave him to us, rather, I should say. He says in verse 15, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. I get it. Doctrinally speaking, this is talking about the end times. But you can make a devotional practical application. Some of you in this room may be experiencing this right now with your home life or with friends at school who hate you because of your testimony for Jesus Christ. But regardless, look what he says in verse 18. There shall not an hair of your head perish. And here's the key. Here's where we're bringing all this to a head. Why are we looking at all of this? Here's where it meets. Verse 19. In your what? Patience. Possess ye your souls. You see, this is the beautiful thing, again, as I've mentioned through all of these weeks with these character traits of 2 Peter chapter 1, the one that we covered last week bleeds right into the next. And what we're going to look at two weeks from now is going to be a perfect follow-up to what we're talking about today.
You see, he says, possess ye your souls. That sounds awfully familiar. Well, if you guys recall, last or two weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians 4.4, he says that every one of you should know how to possess his what? Vessel in sanctification and honor. What's the vessel here? Yeah, it's your body. This is, this is what we were talking about with temperance, with control, possessing, having the reins and the heart under your control, not letting it get out of control. So get it. Here, though, in Luke 21, verse 19, he's saying, In your patience, possess ye not your vessel, but your what? Your souls. So here's the thing. This is where I got to thinking. This is where, you know, temperance and patience, they can be very, very similar and very synonymous with each other. But here's the difference. If temperance is a battle to possess your vessel, patience is the battle to possess or temper your soul. Because what you're going through now, as we just saw in the context of this passage, it's not about the temptations of the flesh. No, you're beyond that because you have temperance now. Now, you're being tried externally. So get it. If temperance is all about the enemy within trying to get us to lose control externally, then patience is all about the enemy from without trying to get us to lose control internally. Do you get it? Temperance, possess your vessel, your body. Patience, possess your soul. Man. And that's why in letter A, we can't underestimate just how essential patience is to our walk with Christ. We're in Luke 21. Turn over to chapter 8. Again, I, I love this, this parable, this passage. And I think I shared with you guys before that... Um, there was a two-year period, eighth grade and ninth grade year, where I was I got saved at the end of my eighth grade year. Or I'm sorry, the end of my seventh grade year. Um, but I never got plugged in. I never got plugged into the junior high ministry, uh, and we didn't have discipleship back then. And so I I didn't really seek after accountability. And so with that, I certainly wasn't <laughs> I certainly wasn't uh, uh, you know reading my Bible on a regular basis or anything like that. But I do remember being a, an eighth or ninth grader coming across this passage and just being frustrated because I didn't get it. I didn't get what the Bible really said, and I couldn't really understand it. And man, I'll tell you what, this was just one of those areas where God winked at because He gave me this passage, and then right smack dab there, I see the disciples had the exact same complaint. <laughs> uh, Master, we don't get it. What are you trying to tell us? And Jesus, being so generous, he actually explained what this parable is about. And I got it. There's just one of those things where God was planting seeds, no pun intended, as you're going to soon see here, to try to get me to come back to him. And he eventually did. But again, check out verse 10. So he goes through this parable about the different types of soil. And it's a picture of the heart and a, and a person who is receptive to the, to the gospel, to the word of God in general. There's four different ways that this seed, the word of God, can fall. And he says in verse 10, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe 
and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with joy. Ugh, and these have no roots, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, what? Oh, they fall away. Do you know people that are like that? Are you like that? Verse 14, And they which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And look what he says there. And bring no fruit to perfection. They have fruit, but they don't bring it to perfection. I'm getting somewhere with this, but look at verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, do what? Keep it. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15 says. And he says, and they bring forth fruit with patience. It's, it's going to take time. It's going to take work. But I wanted you guys to know something about this parable because I've heard it explained wrong all this time. You know, from a, not from our church, but just a lot of people who give their thoughts on this passage. You know, they kind of make it sound as though there's only one successful uh, 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 way as far as salvation of these four grounds. But that's not what it says. Really, it's the opposite. There's only one scenario where someone doesn't get saved. And that's the one where, man, it's like they come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and it goes in one ear and out the other. And they're not really doing anything with what they've earned. So what happens? They go out in the world and Satan, he's just like, I'll take that seed. Thank you very much. And he gets it far from them. But again, as we saw with the rocks, look, something is springing up. But the problem is it has no root. That was me in junior high. Something did spring up. Something did happen. But I had no root. I had no grounding. And so they didn't grow. And also me, verse 14, it's those that are following the thorns where the cares of this life and what people thought about me, it choked that, that seed. It choked it out. And hey, I had fruit. I had conviction of the sin I was in, but it didn't bring forth fruit unto perfection. Didn't go anywhere. Understand, those that fall on the rock and those that fall on the thorns, they are people who are saved. So they are saved, but... I guess out of these four, there is only one that is successful as in success in God's eyes. And it's the last one. It's people who receive the word and they keep it. And they themselves bring forth fruit. But it has to come patiently. You have to be patient, which means there's going to be things outside of your control that are going to try to get you to not bring forth fruit. We just saw two different types of grounds that are going to try to do that. The cares of this world, the pleasures of this life, and temptation. It's going to try to choke that word, that choke that seed out. Be patient. And a passage we're all very familiar with. Again, patience is completely and utterly essential to our walk. John 15, the vine and the branch. He says in verse 2, Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That word purgeth, it means to make clean. Uh, he cleans it up. He washes it. And it also has a connotation with pruning. You know, as someone who dresses a vineyard, someone who keeps a vineyard, they have to prune. They have these pruning shears to cut. Because sometimes you'll find that a branch might be bringing forth fruit, but it's not bringing forth fruit to perfection. 
because there's something in the way. There's a branch that might be coming out of this vine that it doesn't have any fruit in it. And not only that, it's impeding the branches that do have fruit from bringing forth more. And so he purges or he cleanses, he cuts away the branches of our life that don't bring forth fruit. And it's like that in our lives too. There are things in our lives that we'll have, whether it be worldliness or, or, or the sin that does so easily beset us and the weights and those things get in the way. And so God sometimes, you know what he does? He puts us through a time where we need patience, a time of testing to get those branches off so that he can bring forth more fruit. And that's what he says, continuing in verse 2, he purgeth it, the branch, that it may bring forth more fruit. So you have a branch that bears fruit, and then you want more fruit. And he continues in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, has a walk with Christ, in other words, the same bringeth forth, now check this out, much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Do you see the progression here? He wants fruit, and he wants more fruit, and Jesus Christ wants much fruit. And it only comes by your walk with Christ and abiding in him and he in you. Because without him you can do nothing. And oh, please don't miss chapter, or chapter 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. That's the end goal. So shall ye be my, what's that word? Disciples. Please mark this down. Do not think that just because you completed one-on-one -on -one discipleship that that makes you a disciple. Nowhere in the Bible does it say if you complete one-on-one -on -one discipleship, you are a disciple. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. If you are a disciple, according to John 15, 5, it is because you are bearing much fruit. So shall ye be called his disciples indeed. And if I'm being honest, there's a lot of people in our church where they have that mindset that because we finished, I finished one-on-one -on -one discipleship, therefore I am a disciple. You need to guard against that mentality and that mindset if you're in here and that's what you think. That's something that I need to gut check myself with every now and then. And that's where like, there are people are sometimes they'll sit down and they'll like, okay, you know, let's read this verse. All right, let's fill in this blank. All right, next verse. Go ahead and read it. All right, let's fill in this blank. And they go through that routine and that's it. Congratulations, you just got somebody to complete a book. No, the discipleship book is a template, it is a model. It is not the end-all, be-all essence of discipleship. It's not what Christ had to say about discipleship when he says, if any man you know, hate father and mother, or, or any man love father and mother more than me, he's not worthy to be called a disciple. That's not forsaking all that he hath. That's not what Jesus said in Luke uh, chapter 14, I believe, where he talks about, uh, you know, if any man come after me, put his hand in the plow and looks back, he is not my disciple. Luke chapter 9, see what he has to say about counting the cost. That's what true discipleship is. No. 
You see, sometimes in one-on-one discipleship, it's, it's life change. It's one life change being affected by Christ and, and working with somebody else whose life is being changed and affected by Christ. And sometimes that means, you know what, guys? We're going to put the book aside just for this week. You're struggling with something. Hey, you know what, man? I went through something similar when I was your age. Let's go through a word study in the Bible and we'll look at it up and we'll pray about it. We'll pray it out together. And we'll seek a plan of action to try to overcome this hurdle, this trial that you're going through right now. That's discipleship. Yes, the book is needed. But don't make it all about that where you just becomes filling in the blanks and reading some verses. If it produces fruit, if it produces life change, yeah, because that's biblical. We just read that in John 15, 8. So again, we can't underestimate just how essential patience is to our walk with Christ. Christ wants fruit. It takes time and it takes testing. It takes endurance. Cheerful endurance, I should add. And let her be. As I've already kind of hinted at, but we're going to see it now in Scripture. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In letter B, patience, it must come through trials and tribulation. And I love it. In verse 1 of chapter 5, he, Paul talks about saying, you know, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that salvation, uh, that, that, that wasn't the end. God continues after that. He continues after the justification. It's only the beginning. He wants our growth. And he continues in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And don't miss verse 4. And patience, experience, and experience hope. You know, I... Um, you know, I was just thinking about how this whole thing about experientially knowing God. You know, you may plan to memorize a verse like Hebrews 4.16, where it talks about, you know, coming boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to help, mercy and grace to help in time of need. You might memorize a verse like that, and it might really sink down into the recesses of your heart. It might bless you and touch your heart. You're like, man, you know what? Yeah, when trying times come, man, I, yeah, I got to go to the throne room boldly. Absolutely. It's one thing to memorize that verse that touches you. But it's another thing when you're living that out experientially. You know, I've talked with you guys before about this trying time that happened in my life when my wife was pregnant with Wyatt. Uh, you know, like four or five months pregnant with Wyatt. And we just signed on the dotted line for our house. And I am now unemployed. And for three months of rejection after rejection, after job application after job application, I'm kind of coming to the end of my rope. And I have nothing to do but to storm that throne room and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I know you're doing something, but I don't know what. I didn't think it was going to take this long. I need to know what your plan is. Why am I going through this trial right now? What was the end goal of all of it? Oh, and at the very end, may I please have something to support my wife and newborn son with? 
See, it's one thing that I memorized that verse back in JBI years before, but it was something completely different in my life when I actually lived it. And I experientially lived it. That experience only came, though, through the patient trial of my faith. That's how it works. And so you see, Romans 5, and it works hand in hand with James 1, 3, and 4, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let... That word let just simply means like submit to it. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect. That means perfected, more mature and entire, wanting nothing. Anybody see what word is connected here in both the Romans 5 passage that's in your Bible and the James 1 passage that's up on the screen? Yeah, yeah, it's worketh. Work. You know what you're going to learn when it comes to these trying times and tribulations? What these both have in common? It's going to take continual work. It's going to take continual work. So some questions that it brings about. You know, if, if patience only comes or must comes through trials and tribulations, there's some questions you got to ask yourself. Like point number one. What scriptures are your go-to for comfort and the hope to endure? Check out Romans 15, 4 on the screen. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That means, okay, the Bible you have on your hand, in your hands and on your lap here. Uh, is there any new scripture that's being written today that, that we add to this? No. So guess what? That means that whatsoever was written aforetime is everything contained between the, these two covers here. It was written for your learning. There's another beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where it talks about everything that happened in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They were our examples. They were our examples and our end samples. They, they provided external examples and, and things of the, you know, on the external side of things, but also internally, how we ought to think, how we ought to feel, what we ought to be convicted about. All of these passages of the Old Testament were written for our learning. Now watch. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. I'll tell you what. Yeah, when we're going through a trial and a test thing, we don't really care too much about that patient side of thing, but you know what we really do crave? It's comfort and hope. Well, what's right in the middle? What bridges the gap of how you get that? It's the scriptures. You know, before we uh, had the, the send out, the GBC send out, I went through this little mini series on Wednesday nights, this two week study called Rest and Wrestling. You know, if you, if you want to have rest, sometimes it comes through wrestling. Sometimes it goes through a trial where you're wrestling with God on something there. He's picking a fight with you about something or another. But the whole resting side of thing, remember that's where I said, you know, you find this word all throughout the book of Psalms called Selah. And that word literally means rest. It's a pause. Think on these things. Meditate on this. And I went through a whole list of psalms that were just a blessing to me during trying times in my life. And even if I start getting a little down or even if I'm getting through a little mini trial, I'll still go back to those psalms. I'll still go back to those passages because they help me. They help me to keep pressing on and enduring, which is what the definition of patience is. 
that constant reminder of being constant. So I got to ask you, what are your go-to psalms? Have you added to that list? Are there other passages you go to to help you in your time of need? And not only that, not only what scriptures are your go-to, but who are you going to? That's where point number two. Who is God drawing you closer to during your time of testing? And note, we just read Romans 15, 4. Look at the very next verse. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Did you notice how verse 5 comes after verse 4? I know, yeah, it's kind of, you know, I'm a genius, I'm a genius, yeah. But think about it, why did I say that? Think about how we practically handle trials in our life. Don't we usually get them mixed around? We'll usually put verse 5 before verse 4. When we have a trial or a time of testing in our life, What's the first thing we usually do? Is it storm the throne room of prayer boldly? Is it seeking out the scriptures? Or is it picking up the phone and telling our friends? Yeah, I'm the same way too. You know what I found? That if I go to a friend or a counselor or a leader or a pastor with my issues first, especially as it pertains to a trying time of patience, you know I'm more likely to gripe and complain and murmur and dispute when I do that? As opposed to when I go to God first, He gives me the comfort and the hope of the Scriptures. And He gives me the God of all patience, gives me consolation. So that then when I go talk to my counselor, things are calm. I'm being perfected. I'm more calm during the issue. And now we can kind of have a civilized conversation where I'm ready to hear and receive the admonition or the counsel that they give me. Whereas before, I might not have been because I didn't give God the time of day first. But He makes us like-minded. That's what He wants us to do. So who is God drawing you closer to during these times of testing? Uh, flip on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, while you do that, uh, you know, the, the context of Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, he says, you know, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Everyone ought to please their neighbor to their edification. You know, what like-minded friends have been through, you know, they're going to help you with that. And that's what he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I love it. The God of patience in Romans 15, 5. Now the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Love it. Verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any way, which are in any way, I'm sorry, which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You notice how many times he mentioned comfort so far? And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Again, like he said in Romans 15, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak because we've been through a trial. We're now able to help others also. 
We're now able to help those who are going through something we just went through. That's what he's talking about here in chapter 1. Uh, you, if effectual enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, verse 6, or whether we be comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. If you're in here and you're going through something right now, understand that this too shall pass. But take note of the lessons that God is teaching you during this time because He wants you to do something with that. It's not just for your betterment, but for the person sitting next to you, for your brother and your sister. Verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Man, so who's God drawing you closer to during your time of testing? And hopefully it comes in that order. At point three on your outline. You know what these, these trials and tribulations do? You know what it does in order for you to add patience to your faith? These trials make a fickle prayer life consistent and earnest. Turn back to Luke 18. Luke 18. Verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary, the person who took her husband away from her. And he, the unrighteous judge, would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Remember the Strong's definition of patience? It's constancy, being constant, continual and the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Yeah, I get it. This is a pretty odd parable. Because think, who's the... So he's talking about a judge here, an unjust judge. You know who the picture of the unjust judge is? Christ because he is the almighty judge. Now again, he's using this to contrast here. What he's saying is, hey, if in our society an unjust, lost, unsaved judge will grant the continual petitions and prayers of a woman, how much more will your heavenly just judge grant you the desires of your heart by your continual coming to Him in prayer? Because again, like He said on the onset, the entire point of this parable is that men ought always to pray and not to what? Faint. And that's what tends to happen when we're going through trials and testing. We need to be patient that we not faint. Turn over to Psalm chapter 40. But as you see there at the end, 
when the son of he says in Luke eighteen eight, as we're turning over to Psalm, he's like in Luke eighteen eight, uh, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Will he find us doing these things? Will he find us praying like this? Will he find us enduring and continually praying, or are we going to be fickle and inconsistent in our prayer life? Think about the last trying time you had in your life. How did you react? Did you see your great need for Him? Look what he says in Psalm 40, verse 1. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Patience and prayer go hand in hand. Turn over to Psalm 50, uh, 55. in verse 16 as for me I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me now check it out here's how often he does it evening and morning and at noon beginning middle and the end of your day will I pray now that doesn't mean that's the only time you have to call out to him but it's a good start Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Oh, and don't miss verse 18. He hath, past tense, delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. Understand, as you are continuing instant in prayer and fainting not, and as you are consistent and earnest in your prayer life, whatever it is you're going to, this too shall pass. And you will see, one day you'll be able to say, He hath delivered me. But check out the end. He says, He, he hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, whatever that trial is, for there were many with me. You see, as you are going to your counselors and you're going to your like-minded friends and maybe those who have uh, or who are trying to console you with what they struggled and went with in their trial that they had before you, you know what you're going to find? That there are going to be many with you praying for you in the midst of this battle. That's how you're going to get through the other side. It's all of this. It's the scriptures. It's storming the, prayer, the, the throne room. And it's talking with like-minded brothers and sisters who are going to help you. Isn't that discipleship? That is. And that's how you're going to bear fruit. That's how you're going to be delivered from this. And lastly, number four, whatever it is you're going through, I hate to say it, but you got to wait it out. Wait it out and learn what God wants to teach you about personal vision. Check this out. Psalm 27, 14. This was a staple verse of mine in high school. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. And mark it down, there's not too many times in Scripture where God will repeat Himself. So when He does, you might want to take note of it. And that's why He ends this verse with again saying, Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, uh, as again, going back to my testimony, where this verse comes into play for me, uh, got saved at the end of 7th grade year, spent 8th and ninth grade year, two years of my saved Christian life, dating the world. When God finally brought me to the end of myself at church camp, going into my sophomore year, I, was like, I said, God, 
I spent two years dating the world. I'm swearing off dating and I'm dating you. And I'll tell you what, when I chose to wait for God to bring that around into my life, when I chose to wait before I started dating, God did strengthen my, my heart. And I was of good courage. You know why? I had all of this time on my hands to study Him and to be with Him. And man, that is time that I would not trade for anything on this planet. That verse helped me out, out greatly and helped me to see personally where God was leading me. It gave me vision. And lastly, in Habakkuk chapter 2, turn over there and we'll end. Habakkuk chapter 2. what he says in verse 1. I will stand upon my watch like a watchman and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me when I shall answer when I am reproved. You know that you know, the Bible says also, often throughout Scripture you know, to be watchful in prayer. That's what Christ said to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watching is equated with prayer and oftentimes throughout Scripture. And when we do that, look what he says in verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may, what? Run that readeth it. Verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. That's why you have to wait. But the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Wait it out and learn what God wants to teach you about personal vision. And when you finally get that, when He finally speaks to you what He wants to say to you, man, run with it. But run with patience. Run because you've tempered yourself. You remember last week when we looked at 1 Corinthians 9? You bring your body unto subjection. It means you are a slave driver bringing your body as your slave under your control. That's temperance. So that you may run the race, 1 Corinthians 9 says. All that run the race, run all that they may win. And I love it. Run because you've tempered yourself so that now you can run the race with patience. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We looked at some of those witnesses, and boy, what a great cloud it was this past Wednesday night in church history, did we not? Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Patience despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
You see, when you do that, when you run the race with patience, you will start to see clearly the track of where God wants you to go. All you have to do is run. That he may run that readeth it. We're starting to see, we're starting to catch a vision. You see, this entire point of this class is that as we start adding these character traits to our life, we won't be lacking these things because what does 2 Peter 1.9 say? It's at the top of your study sheet every single week. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Which means if you're adding these things to your faith, you're going to see clearly what God has in store for you. You've got to get through the hurdle of the testing, though. You have to get through the trial and the tribulation that He's putting you through. It's the only way patience can come. That's why virtue, knowledge, temperance, yeah, you can add those things to your faith with actions. Patience is where things take a little bit of a turn where the only way you can add it to your faith is by reacting to something that is outside the realm of your control. Man. So let us therefore run and let us endure the cross as we take up our cross daily. Amen? All right. Let's pray.